Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Yeah. No, well, well done. An excellent point that they've anyone, had all the anti-Mormon about... literature. They know the arguments. They have kept thorough records all the way through. To pretend they had to kind of reboot 10 years ago and reinvent official LDS church history is total nonsense. Joseph Smith's papers has been going on since the early 1990s. You know, they've they've had this stuff all the way through. There's tropes. They want to talk about tropes that go on and on and on. This, mm. oh, aren't we persecuted? We have to keep hold of all the mean things everyone says about mm. us. It's like, grow up, guys. Get involved in the conversation. Don't just moan that people mm. are criticizing you. Get involved. The thing Win that gets me argument. so riled and mm. frustrated is that people like Keith have to exist. Like, not him as an individual, but him in his position as a, an apologist. Apologists, say that was a bit rude. Yeah, apologists <laughs> shouldn't have to exist. We have fifteen men that claim the ability to speak for God, not to God, for God. Right? That should be enough to answer anyone's question, mm-hmm. and they don't. They remain silent. So there's just they just put these people in the way and say, "No, you go on, you do with it." Fantastic. Well, can I can I ask a question? So this bit I think might have escaped me. Was that? That wasn't a reply to anyone's answer at all. That just no, came no, no, no. He had certain it. things. Yeah. So he had certain things that he brought over in his bag of tricks. Mm. And this is definitely this is one of them that had to come out, apparently. So what research has been done over the over the pond that this is one of the things that needs to come out? Come on to that. <laughs> um, maybe, possibly it's an answer to that. So Pillow that talk. whole thing about the anti-Mormon literature, this I think again, this is a classic inoculation attempt you, you know remember everybody we're we've been persecuted remember everybody there's lots of anti-mormon literature out there so you give them some fear it's it, and it, it's it's inoculation 101 give them a nice dose of fear first and that way we can then go okay but it's, it's it's okay we know about it all we've collected it all you don't need to worry we, we've got this in hand let me give you a few of the answers so so he that 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 kind of reference to the persecution and the anti-Mormon literature, it's all part of that inoculation So that process. really, so the inoculation, I know you're saying about the fear, but that actually is one of the factors, isn't it? Yeah. We listened recently to um, a podcast over on Mormon Stories about inoculation, and they said that one of the factors in there was to induce fear. People make a sort of emergency decisions. Well, I think if we, uh, if we just, oh, it's not going to let me scroll. Oh, it is. Uh, if we just listen to the end, we can hear one of um, something that became a, a repeating thing throughout his all, all his answers. See if we can. All of those things, there are things that had been published. The Lord commanded them to gather them, and we continue to gather them. Today, we've moved beyond books and encyclopedias and magazines to include all other forms of media, silent films, uh, talky films, uh, things from the internet, and so forth. Oh, it cuts off. Podcast. Um, it, well, yeah. No podcast. It goes on to speak about things that are binary. Um, and we, we grew up in a church where everything was black and white um it was absolutist it was authoritarian and through all of his answers keith is um bringing this new apologetics forward of (laughs) (laughs) everything's just a little bit um here or there it could be it might not be the -hmm. gospel's still being restored now and and it's kind of this they're creating this world where they can move the goalposts wherever they want to now because nothing's fixed in place. Nothing's mm-hmm. written in stone, you know. I think on a positive, though, he was trying to challenge the, the polarisation. The, and he, he, he went into a lot of detail about this at times, that our experience at church is either you just believe the, 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 the correlated narrative and re- repeat it verbatim, um, or you are faithless and you have no testimony. You know, he's talking there about, he's already described that in the clips we had, that... He, which is amazing because we all know loads of apostles, including first presidency members in general conference and in their face to faces with the young people have been disparaging questions and doubts. Mm-hmm. They have gone to town on the idea of doubt. They've reinvented words to to slate 
the idea that if you have even the slightest bit of doubt, you're unfaithful. And you're if you don't, if you and the only questions they that are allowed, you know, questioning is good, but doubt is not. The only questions that are allowed are the ones where you precondition yourself. And they've been very specific about this to absolutely accept and agree with whatever answer the prophet or the church. And so this is the problem then with apologists is that they present a version of the church where, oh, you know, we can we can look through the nuances. We we don't have to be so Mm. binary. And I, I don't know whether we'll have time to listen to it, but I asked a question where I said to him because he he had talked about false binaries. And so I said to him, right, okay. Gordon B. Hinckley said the church is either true or it isn't. It's either the greatest work on earth or it's a fraud, right? He said that. He created a false binary. We hear false binaries over the pulpit. So we can't be blamed for having that view of the church because it is taught to us. So how can we unlearn that? That was my question to him. But my point overall here is that I think RFM said it in his debate with Kwaku and co. He said... The problem with apologists is they create a version of the church that's very easy to defend, one full of nuance, one full of, we don't have to be absolutist about this. You can just bring whatever you like to the church, bring whatever you want. They quote that Joseph Smith thing, bring the best of all that you have and join in with the church. But that's not the current church that we have. That's not what the leaders teach over the pulpit. So who are we to believe? The apologists or the leaders of the church? Because okay. that is a genuine binary that exists because they're teaching different versions of the church. We so all know think, which one we want. but I've got a theory that this has always been the case, that there's always been sort of two churches going on or at least two churches. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the church for people over a certain age and people under, and they've always kind of just been bringing in almost, you know, like bringing in the old, oh, that one goes, and then you've got another one that kind of comes in behind it, is my sort of theory. But it was emphasised the other day where with RFM and... Um, the three yeah um where and so i i certainly get a sense when i talk to younger members that they don't they don't just don't take the crap they can cut through it quite easily now whether it's just because they're so used to being happy to google stuff and and so they and or their social issues mean a lot more to them and so um and they're able to do it but there was something that card carden cardman Cardamon. 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 Cardamon said on there where we where oh no, it wasn't, it was actually Quaku that said um that people were all the time saying at the pulpit, um, I don't know if I believe in yeah, the church. Yeah, yeah. And uh oh yeah, his words were I've heard it a million times, which I doubt. But are we are we in a situation now where we are um are we arguing the church that we grew up with? Because there's no doubt that the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, it was a breeding ground for being zealous. You were in or you were out. And that, I feel, has been the case carrying on. But is that because I'm looking at what the church has given me there and the younger lot are getting another view? I don't know. As the resident youth, uh, I will I will let you know that it is the same. It's not changed. My state president growing up, uh, even into the 2010s, as a youth, my stake president, um, who someone on this panel will know, used to say, it is not the gospel of lucky dip. You can't just come along and take what you want from the gospel and leave the rest. You have to have it all or not have it at all. And that was in that was in the 2010s. That was the sure. state president. Right. And that, I'm going to pause. That, yeah. And is getting that in there. I mean, I know that there is some special wards, uh, some special units up and down. And the mm. country, if you are, or the UK and Ireland, but if you are getting, you were in a ward where you feel comfortable that you could go up to the pulpit and say, um, I'm not sure if I believe, uh, but I have a hope. And you feel like there's no one's going to look at you with, you know, like you're mad. Um, you, let us know, because that is interesting to me. Can I add to that, though? Because I, I think that's a really good question. And, and but, but I think what you mean, well, you tell me if this is what you mean, but... You know, I, I, I've said that in the past. I remember going up the pulpit, not many times. You know, I remember going up and saying, um, you know, I don't I don't know that this, this is true. Is I, I believe, journey, yeah, I believe yeah. this is true. Well, it, at one point, even earlier on, I believe that it's true. I don't know that it's true. So people can get up and say that. I don't think it's the norm. And, and the thing is, you're not, can, can you say that? Can you get up in your ward and say that? 
and um, and still be called as Relief Society president well, or youth leader. I, I think yeah. when there's hardly anybody in the UK to call to positions, they don't get to be that choosy. Uh, <laughs> That's what I was going to say. They, they, they have no choice anymore. They're going to start having it's to. More, it, it's more stark it's so good for this you know this setting that we can discuss it we've seen it such a start um you know the the apostles visit the other week they were making it really clear that the type of answers that they had were just trust us answers and here comes this fantastic guy who who is presenting a vision of what could be in the church to the point where they're trying to train people to be like this which is directly now I, I know he's talking about false binaries but I mean that is one he was teaching something that was directly in o- opposition to what the uh, our apostles were teaching mm-hmm. last week they need that kind of training let's be blunt yeah but what I, what I I really feel strongly about and while I, I do get that ultimately the, the you know the, the twelve apostles, the the first presidency, I, I get they're the church leaders. But if that's how church looks, why the hell can't we have a nuanced church? If the church members are nuanced, why why can't we? If that's what's being taught by some you know grumpy old men. And, and what is being lived and experienced by members today, if the members take on board that training and it happens, you know, if my church is you guys, it, isn't that possible? Because, because then it's not the Mormon church. The, the unique thing about the Mormon right. church is the restored priesthood and the prophets that represent that restoration of the priesthood. And so it is those men that we have to take seriously because if we dismiss them, you may as well just go join your local Anglican church so to all to intents totally and purposes. Dismiss them in order to. I mean, can we? Can we still have priesthood? Can we still have you know I mean, that restoration? And yet, yeah, because it's the to... position they're putting, isn't it, with the fullness of oh, the keys that, that they hold and that sort of stuff. Like they're invaluable because they're in the temple recommend interview question as well. Like in order to then go to the temple and take part in the ordinances that make us different to other sects of Christianity, you have to sustain them. They are, they have made themselves fundamental to everything. Sorry, PD. And that was was mentioned in my excommunication trial. You know, one of the questions from a state presidency member was, um, we've got the piece of keys. They're essential. Yeah. Peter, I put myself, big oh sorry <laughs> because hey, i was man. gonna speak Hang on. we are Hang ready on. for you let me get it sorry but it's it's, it's 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 echoes of joseph smith whenever um there was a problem in the church some sort of apostasy he always brought something in that was bigger and better um, whether it was the priesthood um, when when people were apostatizing so that only he had the authority. If you take that away, then, as you say, what what is the church other than a, a gathering place for people to praise their version of God? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, this has been fantastic, but we're going to take a step forward. And we're we going to talk about the future now. Yeah, well, no, it's still, it's still the past. Church history, Nemo. Um, but what, what we're going to look at is um, a topic that came up, must have been five or six times, uh, and it's not surprising, and it's the one of polygamy. Um, and we had our very own Laura Heath call in just- to the... She, she just, just pop, popped upstairs. Right. So when she comes down, can we pretend that I've been talking about her? <laughs> That's fine. All right. Yeah. No, first of all, before she comes back, we're going to hear um, what Keith and the church really thinks about us doubters. Then it escalates. And so that concern becomes a crisis in the climax of the storyline. And then the end of the story, the denouement, the resolution, is an either-or choice. And this is the way people self-describe their experiences. Either I decide to stay, and having learned this uh, information, that I'm just choosing to be duped, or I decide to go. And in doing so, 
I'm being true to the things that I've learned on the internet or wherever uh, wherever else. But it, it's framed in this stark either or. Either I stay or I go. Either I'm a fool or I'm liberated. Now, the people who analyze stories full time will tell you that the most important part of the story is the end. The end nah. of the storyline is what drives everything leading up to it. So a mystery novel is leading you to, to figure out who done it. A romantic comedy is leading you, drawing you toward uh, will, will the guy and the girl get together in the end. So the end shapes stories powerfully. And this end presents a false choice. And it's false for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of them is that those are never the two options, uh, to stay and be a fool or to leave and be liberated. There are a lot of other ways to respond to information. But this shapes it, uh, and it shapes it in other ways. If, if I, there's information I didn't know, then someone must have been hiding it, uh, and, and so on. So uh, this end, this either or, draws on a very common thing in Western culture, to speak in terms of black and white binaries, male and female, uh, one political party and the other political party. Uh, Larry Saints didn't invent these stark either or binaries, but we are swimming in a culture that uses them to promote politics or products or, or, uh, or media, but we have to not uh, use them because they, they end up they take the richness and the beauty and the breadth and the expanse of the gospel uh, and they substitute in this place an either or. Uh, so can we say that the church isn't absolutely true? Because it's it's neither false or true. It's just somewhere in the middle. <laughs> am, am I maybe messing this? Because I thought what he was saying was that that's the script, that's what we hear mm. or what we're telling ourselves, that there is this, you know, sort of peak crisis point and either you're staying and you're a fool or you're you're leaving and you're, you're, you're what is it, you're, you're staying and being duped or you're mm -hmm. leaving to be true. And that's not, so what he was saying was that this was a you know not not right not accurate that's yeah. what i got from it yeah, yeah I, I think what what he was saying was um people say you know i can't stay because i'm being duped or yeah or i'll stay and just ignore it and what he was saying was you you know in in the middle of that it's not so binary it's not so right and wrong um and but I think as well, he was kind of blaming us for jumping to a right or wrong conclusion mm. and saying that we're almost conditioned to go right or wrong, black or white politics, you know. And maybe if the church hadn't done that to us. Yeah, we're conditioned by layers and layers of indoctrination in terms of, um, you know, from a young Absolute age. Absolute truth. Yeah. To defend and to be loyal and... You know, he said we're swimming in a culture and he talks about politics and things like that. American politics isn't our politics. You know, actually, we lean a lot more socially uh, in this country. So, you know, we don't always think in a binary way naturally. We've been given that. We've adopted that through our uh, through the necessity to prove um, that we are loyal to to the, the organisation, um, sometimes against our own consciences. So, uh, yeah, that's been given to us that i mean all of that there the idea that it's a culture around us that we've suddenly all of us adopted strangely um through That's... no support of the leadership okay it just drives um... me nuts it's not a culture as you're saying it's what they teach they, it's what they taught in the last general conference more than ever and the one before that is the religion that they teach is 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 <coughs> the binary there's no nuance there and here as we've been saying over and over the, the apologists are pretending there is a nuanced religion, which there is in our own hearts and minds if we choose to inhabit that space, and which these historians clearly are. Um, Stephen Harper was interviewed by um, 
Saints Unscripted, if you can find that interview, watch it. Stephen Harper made very clear he doesn't trust the general authorities at all. And he's one of the major church history people. He said, I will only trust something if I can look at the original documents, analyse it rationally and make my own decisions. And he was in open rebellion against First Presidency and that whole, whole narrative. And the interviewers had no idea. They couldn't imagine that the church historian guy might actually be this cynical that he gave no credit whatsoever to the general authorities because he knows how much they just lie. Um, and he's nuanced as heck and very, you know, sceptical if you, you listen to him. And clearly this guy is as well. Obviously, he's putting on a, a, the best front he can. But reading between the lines, he knows where all the crap is. He knows it. And, this is and my he's. Power. Yeah. Oh, we can Sorry. have some more questions. Let's shall we have Laura's yeah. one? Let's let's um let's hear from our very own Laura Heath, who can I just in. say <laughs> I didn't realise I got my question in. I don't know if you can actually hear my question, but yeah. um I didn't realise I was gonna be first on. So I was cooking in the kitchen, realised he said, Laura, can we hear from you? And I pegged it upstairs in a <gasps> kind of state. So yeah, you're gonna hear me like panting all over the place. Well, you won't. And I was a bit nervous as well. Someone very kindly edited all of the heavy breathing <laughs> out of it. So you will hear a very polished Laura um, with auto-tune and everything. Did you put on my voice for me and just read it? Absolutely. <laughs> you need a bit more ethics. Hi there. Thank you very much. Can I just say thank you for taking the time to answer some of these questions for us? I appreciate your encouragement to talk about hard topics and mourning with those that encounter them. My question relates to polygamy. We have a prophet and a first counsellor who both have a second wife, and they've talked recently, well, in the last 10 years, about how they expect to live with those wives in the eternities. The first seven prophets of presidents of the LDS branch up to Heber J. Grant had plural wives and believed that the principle was necessary to be able to access the highest degree of celestial kingdom. We've, um, we've been given the three gospel topics essays and they've been really helpful in addressing some of the historical um, concerns and thank you so much for signposting them they've been helpful to me my question is more about our lived experience and ability to process this doctrine in our minds now today we've got section 132 in the doctrine covenants and i've only ever really talked about it in in the in the gospel doctrine classes appreciate that in seminary it's a little bit different but in the adult classes, it's talked about in a monogamous way. And there's actually a paragraph in there that says that if plural marriage is brought up, that, that we can sign people to the gospel topics essays. But it's never really promoted as a topic. Um, and I think the consequence of that, of not speaking about it, has left some really heavy hearts for women who get distressed because they're worried about what their heaven looks like because we don't talk about it on a as a main topic ever. And so answers like, don't worry, heaven will be great or leave it to the Lord, and, and I appreciate that they're so well-meaning, but they're not always very helpful. And so, uh, with all of that context, my main question, my focused question really is, would you encourage us, encourage us to talk openly and honestly with sincere questions about plural marriage, both with our friendships at church and also in our Sunday School Relief Society and priesthood meetings? Queen yeah, Laura. that is a, a wonderful question with a lot of... A wonderful question. Boom. I think he actually said, that's the best question. That's my favourite question. That's, my favorite that's question. how I so You know me, it. I bang on, bang, bang, bang on about not just polygamy, but other branches of the restoration that, okay, polygamy is not my bag. I don't choose to, to live it. But as a bit of an advocate for people that other restoration branches, I believe out of integrity most of the time, have as a consequence of this sort of doctrine not being discussed it's there it's it's there to be read there's some serious revelations that were given out mm. by our own prophets john taylor gave the 1886 revelation which was one of my shelf breakers when i read that um and he says there that polygamy won't be taken from the earth and as a consequence of that being hidden and us not talking about it we've had all sorts of other restoration movements that believe that they are following the true path you know yeah. okay. people and people that with integrity have followed those paths because they feel that the lds church is out of order we have to okay. start talking about this stuff well let's let's see what he said 
really important contexts. And I'll maybe I'll start with a, a direct answer to the question and then work out uh, into some of the context that you you talked about. Uh, so your question of is is if I would encourage that. And uh, yes, uh, speaking for myself, uh, not only would I encourage it, uh, I regularly do. Uh, I think it's important to talk about. Now, if it becomes a thing we always talk about, then there are lots of other things to talk about. But, but yes, I also will say, uh, I talk about this question with teenagers. I talk about it with, uh, with people who are adults. Uh, I've talked about it, it, it with, uh, with children. And so I think there are appropriate ways in, in all of the different settings to, to talk. And I think that's, uh, that's really important. And I think Sunday school, I agree. Sunday school it should be the place uh, where we feel safe uh, and where we can talk about it. Now, the part about feeling safe, uh, which, which connects with some of the context to your question, uh, I, I agree. I have personal experience. I have uh, people in my family who are close to me. I have just people that I know generally uh, and have talked with uh, for a long, for many hours about, uh, about how traumatic the question is. And I like how you mentioned this, uh, particularly for modern women in the 21st century. There's a writer uh, who I don't know that she gets everything right as she talks about plural marriage, but she uses Carolyn a phrase Pearson. that I do think has helped me think about a little. She talks about plural marriage as haunting uh, modern women. And, and, and as you named it, you know, you can see people in public who talk about, uh, and including President Nelson, President Oaks, who talk about uh, see, the ceiling to women. You see other people uh, who remarry amongst you. And it, it prompts the questions, uh, and some of them are haunting questions, but the questions that you raise. Now, this particular part of the question about kind of the future life of plural marriage is definitely one of those gaps that we talked about earlier. And so one encouragement I would add is uh, not to try and fill it in. Our brains want to fill it in just from a sense of, of not having any gaps uh, because it's it's tough and haunting we would like to fill it in and and maybe uh close the door on it and and and, and put the question away but um this is a, specifically about uh relationships in the afterlife is an area about which we know little and and I'll say that there, there are people in the 19th century, you can, and you can find quotes online, that talk about plural marriage as something that will happen forever. But I think those statements have to be balanced against uh, lots of statements made by church leaders. And so um, I think that the... Uh, well, in Jacob chapter 2, we kind of get the best statement that monogamy is God's law of marriage and that, that plural marriage is an exception. Uh, connect that with another passage in the Doctrine and Covenant that says the same sociality that exists among us on earth will exist in heaven. Uh, that one kind of encourages me because if we look across the history of God's dealings with people, we definitely see that plural marriage is an exception. We can name Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, we can name Latter-day Saints from the 1840s to 1890. But across the whole sweep of history, those are, those are definitely exceptions. The church today has 16 million members. Uh, we didn't reach 1 million members until 1947. So those first two generations of Latter-day Saints are definitely small in number compared to the millions of us who are here now. So that passage about the same sociality that exists among us is one that helps me uh, have a little bit of peace and also kind of balance against uh, not filling in the gap. But I would, that's um, a wonderful question and, and what I can share. What, what part can I go of- first? Just, just something real Julian, quick. Julian first. Sorry. Go um, on, go on, go on. So, yeah, that it is really hard. I mean, you know, there are so many gaps there, uh, you know, and it, let's not fill in the gaps. I mean, 
If only we had like, a profit serum revelator that could maybe fill in some of those gaps. That wouldn't that be wonderful? No, I don't Can want you to imagine fill, that I kind don't of want thing. Nelson, uh, President Nelson's filling any gaps. <laughs> no, no this. gap filling, please. Oh, I didn't mean that. <laughs> My gosh, this is going behave. To be Absolutely right. This is your warning. Right. And while you're all thinking about that, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna clarify something. And I feel like I can speak on behalf of um most of the women of the church and uh, men of the church when I say this. We don't want to close the door. We don't want to put the question away. These were women with names. They existed, they had real lives, they had real pain, and we need to honour their experiences and remember their experiences. Um, it's really important that we don't just dump it in the bin and never speak about it again. It's part of our history. We have to learn from it. We have to decide what we do with it, and we have to wrestle with it in very real ways today. Can I just bolt onto that? <laughs> um, there was a non-verbal there, James, where you went like this to rhyme with. No, I want to go. Go on, you go, and then I'll go. TD, oh, you're, <laughs> you're muted, bud. Absolutely. Um, I was just going to move on to the next side. polygamy clip because it's oh. still muted, PD. Just, I, oh, I can hear him. I'm not. Oh, just just before you move on, PD, I just got to say this one really quick thing. What part of new and everlasting covenant does this man not understand? <laughs> it is everlasting, right? That, and, and he goes, oh, we can go with this person, that person. He just, he is the king of cherry picking. That's all I'm going to say. Mm. He's the king of cherry picking. Mm. And he, he tries to accuse everyone else of it, but he does it just as much himself. Um, there was a there's a million things I have to say about polygamy, okay, but just in relation to what he said there, because I've still got loads of things to say about polygamy, but just in relation to what he said there, he gave a list of 1840 to 1890 is when you can find your people, yeah, that are living polygamy that way. Rubbish. That's what 1890 is when Wilfred Woodruff decided to um to well no actually to give out Pretend. the manifesto mm -hmm. and not revelation manifesto it's when he decided to pretend that we're not doing it yeah yeah nudge yeah. nudge wink wink to everybody else we're still doing it so people yeah. didn't didn't but then you've got a break at that point you've got a split in the church you've got um the um mormon fundamentalists that then go hang on that's not what john taylor was saying nudge nudge wink wink and they start to well they they actually do it in the next century. But from that point on, they start running their lines slightly differently. Well, don't don't now, you have half the core of the 12 running around doing ceilings, then the other half going around and cancelling all the polygamous things they were yeah, just doing? Actually, yeah, it's, it, if, you don't get, if you get a chance, please, please go to Lindsay Hanson Park's Year of Polygamy. It's mm. outstanding and it will break down all of this for you. But just to give it some context, um, I think D. Michael Quinn was writing some post-manifesto post uh, marriages. I don't know how far he got with his work, but he was tracing them all the way up to 19, uh, I think it was about 1935. But we still know that there was incidents where people in 1955 were still rocking up to church polygamously. And because yeah. of uh, where they were, legends in the church, they weren't getting uh, challenged. Henry B. Iring, to give it some context, grandfather was a polygamist. This is all in their background. So they've got no invested, vested interest to get rid of polygamy at all because well, you'll get one of the biggest things that people come out with. Well, if polygamy didn't exist, I wouldn't exist. Yep. Well, oh, well, yeah. And, well. and talking about um, church, you know, polygamy as part of church history, I, I think is it's a it's a red herring. We, ch for them, church history is family history very often. Yeah. And when we, you know, I, I would bring it a, a lot lot further than you know we're, we're talking about polygamous ceilings that are happening in that that sort of time period but we have to own our doctrine we have to own our crap mm -hmm. if there are you know polygamous cults where child abuse is happening you know that we are watching documentaries about as they unfold on the news you know we need to be responsible for that and and, and own it so there are people well, absolutely. Absolutely. that's yeah, he, our mess to get involved in that he, is our mess he's about, to, he's about to own it because i can't believe he reads out what he's about to in the chapel um with a straight Smash. face and that Do he it. didn't stop halfway through okay um cue up this video still on uh, polygamy and polyandry um but this one was a cracker if i were to tell married women that if they were to marry me 
then they would become a god with me and then have them marry me, have sex with them, and tell them to return to live with their husbands, but not tell their husbands. Oh, wait, this bumps when a new question comes in. Okay. But any of this, that it might look like I were being manipulative in order to satisfy my sexual cravings. Why do you believe that Brother Joseph was not doing this for exactly those reasons? That's a great question. I think that's a great question. Credit to him, you know, that if I back way back when I was gospel doctrine teacher, if I had rocked up to something like this and someone was willing to say that from the pulpit and then try and have a bash at answering it, that would have been fantastic, you know. So, credit where credit's due. I'm just the incredulity, my incredulity is that that question that is that is some serious question. Okay, well, let's see what you said. Um, I know who asked it. Remember here. The style. And, and, and in many times when we do church history, when we think about the past, it's important not to impose our present uh, assumptions about the, the way things work onto the past. So on this question of plural marriage and wives mm -hmm. and sexual relations, uh, even uh, to the level of... Uh, when conversations were held about entering into marriages and ceilings, we have very, very few records. Oh my From the 1840s. So they, they begin to practice plural marriage in Nauvoo in 1841. Joseph is murdered in 1844. <clears throat> uh, and so that's where we have the most activity with plural marriage. We have, in terms of historical records from that time, we have just a few. There's one reference in Joseph Smith's journal uh, to one of the uh, marriages. There is uh, the text of section 132, uh, now the Doctrine and Covenants, which doesn't really talk about historical events, but, but that's one of the records that comes from the, the time period. Uh, there's another journal, uh, William Clayton, that shares some things uh, from, from the 1840s and a few other things. Most of the records that we have about plural marriage come from later, uh, plural marriage in Nauvoo. Uh, and one of the triggers uh, happens in the mid-1860s, so it's 20 years later. This is one of the stories we tell in Volume 2 of Saints. Uh, Joseph Smith III, uh, one of Joseph's sons, comes to Salt Lake City, uh, and, and there's an interaction between him and Joseph F. Smith, his cousin, the son of Hiram. And they have an exchange, and Joseph III says, uh, plural marriage never happened. And Joseph F. says, no, I'm sure it did. But then, uh, I think in this story, uh, you can see in Saints Volume 2, there's a wonderful example in Joseph F. Smith about what to do when we encounter new information. Uh, Joseph F. Smith said, well, I thought it had, but I don't really know how to, to describe it. And so Joseph F. Smith begins an effort to document. And they go out over the next years, and uh, we get several affidavits in the late 1860s, early 1870s, as they track down women uh, who then come in to uh, in front of a justice of the peace. There's kind of a legal apparatus. They record their testimony. They sign it as an affidavit. And they say, yes, uh, I was sealed to Joseph Smith. So there's uh, one challenge to these kinds of records. This is most of the way that our understanding of what happened 20 to 25 years earlier happened. And that is people are remembering back and they say, yes, uh, you know, I was sealed to Joseph, but what we don't get is a really good day by day of this would happen and, and then they had this conversation and they agreed to do this and here's when the sealing happened. A lot of them will say, uh, you know, just loosely, uh, you know, I, it was the spring of that year or, you know, this is how we all remember things. Well, it was after we moved to the new house, you know, this is how people remember things today, not saying on this date. So, that's kind of a, a, a long way to come back around to uh, what happens today in this question uh, is that there are, there are gaps. There are gaps in the historical record. And one of the things we need to be comfortable with when we talk about history is there are gaps. And this isn't just a church history thing. This is a national history thing. This is a world history thing. The past was filled with people who were alive and talking and communicating, and they're all dead. 
And so we can't go back and say, what happened? We have to use the things that they've left behind. And in this case, the things that they left behind don't help us identify an exact timeline of how things unfolded. So this is where I think uh, that modern thinking comes in. People look at all the gaps and they say, well, this is what I think Joseph was doing. I think he was manipulative. I think he was a predator. Uh, and so uh, they're, they're imposing this narrative. Now, during Joseph's life, people made similar kinds of acquisition. I'm sorry, accusations. They would make <laughs> criticisms about uh, Joseph, but more so Brigham Young. Gap, is it? It's during Brigham Young's presidency when the practice uh, is announced publicly. And so it's later 19th century that these criticisms are made. And so I think another way to, um, to talk about this, uh, and in this sense, in this, this time, I do want to say, I think there's a modern lesson that, that we can bring. Uh, and, and today, uh, in our modern society, uh, we've gone through a recent round of, of, of high-level conversations about men in power who manipulate women. And one of the things that's come out of that are, are uh, hashtags and phrases to talk about uh, hearing women and listening to women. And so that's what I uh, encourage when we're talking about the wives of Joseph Smith, people who were sealed to him, is to do our best to listen to them. Rather than saying, this is what I think it was, I think you were being manipulated, let's listen. Now again, I said, uh, there are not a lot of sources. Most of them come later, but many of the women who uh, signed these affidavits also went on to write uh, reminiscences or memoirs uh, at, and they would describe again not a kind of day-to-day -day timeline but they would describe some of their feelings and uh, there are a couple of images that uh, that surface in uh, in the way they talk about it uh, or, or concepts or themes uh, one of them is obedience uh, there were a very few people in the historical records who learn about polygamy and decide, oh, I want to do that. Uh, when Brigham Young learns about it, he attends a funeral and he wishes he could trade places with the corpse. Uh, Joseph uh, has a time where uh, he's trying to avoid it or, or not do it and, and has, to, has, to, uh, has to come around. Th that is a regular experience for people uh, who who begin to practice plural marriage. And one of the ways they talk about it is with an idea of, uh, of obedience. They come to have a sense uh, of it being a commandment. They, they come to have a sense of it, of it being an, an exception that is described in scripture, which is, which is restored in the present. And so that becomes the way they talk about it. They don't say, uh, you know, I'm excited to do this. They, it's, a, it's a reluctance uh, that we see in their records. Another thing we hear uh, is that women uh, talk about it, and men, uh, invoking the, the, the story of Abraham and Isaac and being called upon to sacrifice something uh, that is tremendously important. So this sense of obedience and sacrifice uh, is the way that they, they talk about it. So if we're going to look at a historical record that has lots of gaps, and some of the clues that remain are about obedience and sacrifice and trying to learn the will of God, then um, I'm reluctant in the 21st century to try and fill in those gaps with other, uh, other narratives and other ways of framing. So um, that's uh, why, why, so back to the kind of the, the then final point of this question, why should we believe Joseph? Uh, I think it's because of the things that we do know about him and the people uh, who participated. So, uh, and I also think it's because uh, we can become comfortable with there being gaps in the record. Nima. Yeah. I just want to paraphrase um, or recall to the best of my knowledge what Helen Mark Kimball said one of the people that was married to Joseph Smith as a plural wife, because he said, you know, why don't we listen to them? So let's listen to her when she said, had I known it would be what it was, I would never have done it. That's she what she said. Of course, 
that then doesn't become a reliable source, et cetera, et cetera, because it doesn't suit the narrative. But if we're having that conversation, we're saying, yeah, let's speak to the women, let's listen to what the women said, let's not fill in the gaps ourselves, then we have to hear that some of them are not happy about it. Laura, you're on mute. Sorry, uh, so much. Um, okay, so- Still muted. Um, oh, there you go. Um, oh, Julie's just found me. So let's listen to the women. Let me just give you a quick quote. Okay, this is Phoebe, one of the um, one of the um, wives of uh, President Woodruff. Um, she gets up. So Woodruff's fourth president, and uh, they're speaking at a mass meeting. And she gets up and says, "If I'm proud of anything in this world, it is that I accepted the the principle of plural marriage and remained among the people called Mormons, and am numbered with them today." However, a few days later, a longtime friend asked, how is it, Sister Woodruff, that you have changed your views so suddenly about polygamy? I thought you hated and loathed the institution. Phoebe responded, I have not changed. I loathe the unclean thing with all the strength of my nature. But, Sister, I have suffered all that a woman can endure. I am old and helpless and would rather stand up anywhere and say anything commanded of me than to be turned out of my home in my old age, which I would be most assuredly if I refused to obey counsel. That is, a, that is the words of a woman. Um, and I would just say, like I said, I'm not I'm not um, demonising polygamy. Um, but what I am is I think one of the most heinous things to do to females in the LDS branch of the restoration is to make them believe that this could be part of their heaven with no space to be able to process that in the other fundamentalist movements. The women get to discuss it at least. I don't know whether there's full consent all the time. I can't speak to that. But the fact that we take soft power where we can. So I can remember saying things when polygamy got brought up. So somebody in the chat said that when it's brought up, people change the change the um, the conversation. And I completely get you on that. But I was also, as a woman, guilty of that because it was uncomfortable. I almost didn't want it brought up because I was scared of it. I didn't want someone to say something that I hadn't heard before. And it cemented the fact that it was going to be my heaven. Because Julian would have been dutiful. I'm sure you'd have made the sacrifice. I'm, I'm just thinking, what are the chances of me finding another woman? That's <laughs> but I used to say things, soft power, like, it's okay. I'll just make sure, I, you know, that person does the washing up. You know, sisterhood and all of that. But inside I was dying. It's awful. But you don't want to seem like the weak woman that actually, oh, polygamy is a problem for you, that age old problem. But with no way of actually being able to process that and converse. We've got Relief Society to, for flip's sake. How many women we can get together and discuss that? It's never on the table, but it's there in the background. So many women make sideline um uh, if they actually do com have conversations with it, with that, they're making sideline agreements all the time. I'm having loads of conversations with women that say, we've already discussed it, he's not going to. But there's a part in The Ghost of Ghost of Eternal Polygamy by Carolyn Pearson, amazing, uh, where she talks about, oh, there's lots of women that give, lots of men and women that give their thoughts on it. And some of these women are basically, they keep a portion of their heart away from their husbands because they can't fully give everything over because it might not they might not always be theirs and it's that for me is single-handedly one of the most well from my in my experience because I haven't experienced some of the trauma that that many people have experienced in the church in other areas but from my experience that was one of the most harmful things for my little old soul was to not be able to discuss those things when we were in um just about every meeting that I've ever been in, we have to accompany the subject of polygamy with some kind of joke that we've all heard a million times. It's just, this is one of the few times that I've heard them, you know, heard anyone respond without having to bring some kind of joke into it. So I'm going to give him that, but that's about as far as I can go. You're absolutely right. We do have women's voices and he didn't talk about a single one of them until he mentioned that they exist at the end you know the the thing is we've we've never really as women been able to discuss how we might feel about polygamy we, we've got all sorts of conflicting feelings about it and we can't even wrestle with it in part of the church setting that has has um where it's come from what really really gets me about this about how he how he answers this was it, it just 
there there were non answers. There, there there wasn't anything that I could work with. Um, yeah, I, I I do have something else, but I'm really steamed right now. <laughs> Just yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we, we each have our representations of the group. So Nemo's the kid. He's in, down with the kids. Um, no. I'm the I'm the polygamist. So someone commented during this or reflecting on it that they said, you know, in their sort of Utah ward, half the members in his ward are polygamists, i.e. temple sealed to more than one person. Um, I am. And I start to think, well, yeah, isn't that crazy in Utah? Then I start to think about the active membership in my ward. At least a quarter <laughs> of the active membership members of my tiny British ward are polygamists. They are sealed to more than one wife, the men. Um, and it's loads of us. It's alive and kicking in the church. And it's not just some fringe thing that happens occasionally or to a couple of general authorities. It's a huge percentage because life happens. People get divorced, but the church won't cancel your ceiling, which he actually acknowledged as one of the painful things that women experience unequally in one of his responses. Um, And I mean, I know loads of people for whom trying to get a ceiling cancellation after they actually divorced was uh, the reason they spilled out of the church because they encountered a machine that had lied to them about even what a ceiling is. It's not a covenant. It's a spell cast on you by the temple priesthood, and they withhold the right to break it. You cannot break your own covenant. Only they can, even if you've like left the church and left your spouse. Um, so all of this utter bullshit that the polygamy is over with, it's in the past, it's not the norm. He kept saying this repeatedly in response to polygamy questions that polygamy, uh, that monogamy is the norm and polygamy was is the occasional historical <coughs> temporary exception is one of the biggest lies going from him and from apologists. It's rampant. It's intrinsic to everything we do. Um, I've, and I was, you know, I have some empathy for those women in the past because I was emotionally and spiritually coerced into plural marriage. Because my second wife wanted to marry in the temple and she deserved to. So to do that, I had to apply to become a polygamist. And we often talk about women being victims of this. They are not the only victims, although obviously in the past they've had had the worst thing. Um, You know, it's been brutal for for a lot of the men involved as well. Um, And still is today. It's a source of great pain. Um, So and just to, you know, on the whole thing. We know that the Gospel Doctrine manual until recently, probably the current one, has said, don't discuss polygamy. Don't do it. It's in the instructions. And um, after the Gospel Topics essays came out and they were meant to be bringing the content into the mainstream curriculum, the lesson about polygamy four years ago when we were doing the, the Doctrine and Covenants last time was a complete whitewash. They talked about one of Hiram's wives where he married a sister of his wife and reference some obscure law of Moses Old Testament thing that made that okay as the way that you look after the widow of your brother. And that was the only framing they gave of polygamy in the LDS Gospel Doctrine Manual uh, just a few, four years ago. You know, the lies about this is just epic for him to, again, to get up and say, we should talk about this. We've got the, you know, or we don't know enough. They know all about it, as you pointed out. There were people at the time wrote this. Our church was restored within the modern age. People wrote stuff. There's newspaper articles about everything that happens in church history. Millions, <laughs> millions. There's millions of pages of journal entries that by the people there doing it. And he's boasted that the church has the archive of all this stuff, even the anti stuff. And he's standing up there talking about we really don't know anything and it's all vague and the gaps. It's just, I'm, I'm actually going off him now because I did love that he was so impressed that he spoke so passionately about creating a safe space to ask and answer questions. But the guy is a liar. He knows he's lying. He lied in response to all of our questions um, and he just knows it. But he's also trying to be a reformer at the same time. And this is, and I think one of the things we wanted to communicate here 
is this is the dance that anyone taking up official apologetics has to play. The system will break them. It will destroy them morally. It will make honest, lovely people like Keith Erickson get up and lie through their teeth um, because they have to lie and tell unbelievable lies of mental gymnastics to even begin to blag their way through the scale. And it's pointless. It's not going to work because we can go online and find out just how much he lied in every answer he gave really quickly. And the people they need to save and rescue to keep in the church, including those who haven't gone down the rabbit hole yet, we've talked about keeping the people in, and this is for the 90 and 9. Well, this won't work for the 90 and 9, because once they do start clicking, they'll find out how much he lied. Not that I hadn't hardly anyone was there even listening to him. They're still not bridging that gap of reality. If, if I you're on mute, PD. Um, could I just jump in with with just the the final comment that I was going to make on that? Tough. I'm going to be. <laughs> um, so I don't think that that he's lying. I I, I don't. I think it's a, an issue with um, women's stories being heard and valued, and I don't think they have been. So I think there's a bigger problem than this being a, a church issue. And we've heard about that, and he alluded to that. Um, what I really, really resent is the fact that he brought obedience and sacrifice into it. Because every single one, without I, I know without fail of those women hearing it for the first time, would have been, Victorian women, would have been revulsed by that. It's a horrific idea. And to be asked to pioneer polygamy, what that must have done to those women's souls, of course, the only way you could get a woman to practice polygamy would be to hold their salvation. Hold it up. And if you're not going to be willing, then you're not going to, not only you won't go to heaven, not only you, but your whole family. And, and that's the kind, and we're going to celebrate that as, as those women being super obedient. You're damn right those women were super obedient, but you don't get to stand up today and hold that up as the example of what obedience and sacrifice should look like. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've got it. You, you have to remember that the, the men in, in this though as well. I mean, Paul Brigham, you know, said... The only time he ever envied the the man in the coffin, you know, and and, and Joseph he took a took a flaming sword, didn't he? All mm -hmm. of those things that God could have sent an angel with a, a flaming sword. Do you know what? Don't worry, you'll sleep on the couch tonight. Um. Oh, you're still muted. muted. We're just. We're gonna just keep jumping in every time you're muted. Yeah. <laughs> I see. We're just gonna run rampant now. <laughs> Oh, the hand of power. I can see that. He has declared. Is your mic disconnected, PD? Peace be still. Is there a physical mute going on? Can you just sign it to us? This is awesome. Yeah. We can carry on. He's got no okay. control. You talk, and I'll, I'll, I'll do an overdub. Come on. Change, <laughs> change the microphone. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I think we all just need to uh, take a beat. Um, we've run slightly over time. But I think what it's important to say at this point is... Uh, a lot of different topics were brought up during the mm. questions and answers um, from polygamy to blacks in the priesthood, book of Abraham. Um, yeah, lots of them. And all of those questions will be online in the next couple of hours. But I think the polygamy has served um, to highlight what was um, a strategy and something that fit every topic that came up. Um, that basically he he lied for the Lord. I won't say he lied on purpose. I think it was more of a milk before meat kind of situation where we were asking meaty questions and he was giving back milky answers. Mm. Um, because we, we may be, it's, it's the thing of um, Boy K. Packer with the not all truth is useful. Um, and, and I think that's where we are um, from lying to not lying. We're just somewhere in the middle, in the gap. Um, so I think now we'll have a run through, a run around everyone. 
um, to give your takeaways. Um, you can plug um, anything that you want to, as long as it's kosher. Um, and we'll start with Nemo. Hey, there. I was that with me for. Um, you guys know where to find me. Might not make it to the end. Nemo the Mormon YouTube channel. Uh, go there, subscribe. There's a giveaway coming up. Very exciting. Awesome. Laura and Julia. You're on mute. Um, okay, yeah. So we um, we don't speak for sunstone.org, um, but we um, are part of the big team uh, at Sunstone UK. So you can find us over at the Facebook page, Sunstone UK. Um, and uh, we have lots of different people that post on there, which is great. And we, if you are thinking about doing a podcast or you've got a voice um, in the UK and Ireland, then uh, then get in touch. And we're always interested in speaking to new people with new perspectives um, from the from the from the UK and Ireland. Yeah. Fantastic, Jane. Um, so I just wanted to say that I think this as part of the British Rescue has been absolutely fascinating. It's given us so much to talk about. I think we're going to be referring back to it for a long while to come. Um, I really appreciate the, the tone of what he was he was trying to do. And I do think it will make a difference. I really do. But I think uh, that difference might be um, less long lasting than we hope it will be. Um, living as a nuanced member of the church is not an easy road so um, yeah what is quite good is that here in the UK we've got a brilliant space um, lots of brilliant spaces now to be able to discuss those nuances Sunstone UK being being one of those we've got these podcasts um, and there is a brilliant community that's that's come around them so yeah for 21st century saints we'd really love you to like and subscribe uh, to our work this uh, tomorrow night we're talking climate change with uh, some with a biblical scholar and some climate change activist from community of christ which is going to be really fun this wednesday we've actually got something um really special coming up if you're interested in women's blessings, if you're interested in transgender issues, we have two best friends coming on who are going to talk about their journey. Um, this is one of the most powerful things I've ever heard. So I'm really excited for this Wednesday night. Awesome. Oh, and also, before I go, can I just say the people who've been involved in recording um, PD, your, your work over this past few weekends and stuff, and uh, the people who have been assisting in recording to get us all of this stuff out to, to the audiences, you guys have been amazing. So thanks for everything you've been doing, PD and friends. Thank you. Lynn. <laughs> I would also just really urge everyone to watch all these questions and, um, you know, a whole team has worked really hard to bring you this material because the church wanted it to either never be seen in the first place, as we discussed, or then immediately go down a hole. Um, and, and it's a snapshot of where we are, but it's not enough. They're still not engaging with the real issues as honestly as they need to. And um, I've asked my state president, who kind of excommunicated me for it, why is it that the first presidency ordained, uh, ordained themselves without a vote of the people? He couldn't answer it. I've passed it on up to the first presidency in my appeal letter, and I've still not heard back from them. They have not answered their question. But they sent a major church historian to Britain. So I asked him, I asked the guy, I asked Keith, why is it and when did it happen? And his answer was a load of waffle that didn't answer the question. And Nemo has been asking this question as well. So this just shows that even though he's talking about opening up to to being, you know, having the conversation, we've got answers to all the questions. They really don't. And this is the big one because it gets to the hub of the priesthood authority of the leaders. They don't have any, sadly, the first presidency because they're breaking the scriptures about their own calling that they should be sustained before they are ordained. And this all comes down to church, to um, common consent. Um, so we, we, we'll keep asking, we'll keep trying. And all of us, we're challenging this system. We're challenging them to do better. This was a big step forward. Um, the the modelling he gave of having the conversation is crucial and historic. But sadly, 
what this system of lies and concealing truth does, as we've seen to even the nicest people, is extremely destructive and it doesn't work. Um, they can't keep playing these games because they will fail. Fantastic. Thank you, Peter. Um, apologies there for the IT issue. Um, from Priesthood Dispatchers, thank you everyone for watching. And um, before you go, hopefully, we can have a sneak peek of uh, the next video coming up um, Wednesday this week from Priesthood Dispatchers. <laughs>